This evening, we're going to be looking at two additional uh, uh, pieces of the parami, metta and equanimity. But before we do so, I'd like us to take one whole step back, move. We've been going in close with each parami. So let's start by going further back and looking at the, uh, the, the whole larger picture of what what's being pointed to here with the paramis? Like, why, 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 if we take them as a whole, what is the, what is the advantage of this? We're not expecting you to walk out of here going, oh, these are the 10 paramis, da, 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 and being able to spill them off the top of your head or say, let me give you a little talk on the 10 paramis. It's not that. It is rather, it's an introduction to the fact that there exist these qualities of mind that are inherent in our heart, mind, as Don said in that very first day a week ago, and as we have discovered for ourselves as we practice. We also discover that these, these qualities or, or, or uh, characteristics of mind-heart uh, are often thwarted or blocked by something. And so we see that while they're innate, there's also opportunity to develop them, to make them more accessible to us, to have a deeper understanding of them, to have a much more skilled interwoven uh, relationship to each of these paramis in our daily life and in our practice just as we are, so that we, 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 we have enough already that we can treat the paramis as, uh, as an aspiration and treat them as characteristics to be developed and as uh, the, uh, uh, something we possess. We have a base for building in each instance, and the paramis are responsive to our attention. So when we pay attention, they, they keep developing. One moment of equanimity, one moment of patience is a wholesome factor for another moment of patience to arise, another moment of, of, of generosity to arise. They are very organic and responsive in that way. But it does take a certain amount of, um, of, of discipline to do this. That's, that's why this patience and persistence and so forth, as you'll see. Hope this makes sense to you, that, that um, they're both in the distance and here and now. And the more we, the more we explore them, uh, and we explore them as an idea, uh, as a whole, not just individually. So the wholeness of these, the, of, of being a person of, of of uh, having attained uh, a, a good character as a whole, even if we don't, we, don't, we don't have to split them apart in the way we're doing it, but splitting them apart helps us get to that whole. I don't want to um, make them just a checklist. Uh, generosity leads to all of these other characteristics. So does patience, so does equanimity, so, so does sila. They, they, they're, they're, they support one another in this endless way. We could make a very fancy three-dimensional chart of how they all support one another. 
And um, as you'll see me do in a moment, uh, there's ways to look at them in groupings, uh, not just in twos, that also can be helpful. When I was um, first uh, seeking to understand the paramis, uh, they were they were uh, taught in this sequence, and it would say that that uh, it is sila that perfects dana, and it is it is renunciation that perfects sila. I worked with that a long time, and. Um, it, 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 first of all, that word perfects got on my nerves. <laughs> so then we're going back to perfection. And so my goal is to become perfect. Sounds like a lot of selfing in that. So I kind of abandoned that. And I'm going to share the way I have worked with these, which this is how I've worked with them. This is not, this is not, yeah. Well, I'll say more about the whole history of the Paramis in the Buddhist tradition later. So I don't want to get into that too soon. But this can, this, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, the way to work with them in threes, is to show you how to, this idea that you work with them as a group, and that, uh, and, and that there's a way to hold them. Ten are a lot of things to hold. But if we, if we kind of hold, find some way to organize them, we could even fuzz them up a bit, and we're getting, we're getting three at once, as it were. <laughs> okay. So... As, as the first of the paramis is this generosity in the traditional list. And, uh, but generosity is both spontaneous. We see a need and we will respond. And it is cultivated. There's parts of our life where the generosity is inherently developed in us and other parts of our life where we're really reluctant. So generosity means having a shared, uh, a shared feeling of connection to others. And therefore, since there's not a separation, we're naturally generous. We, we identify with, we feel the feeling, we have empathy, sympathy, all those kinds of things to varying degrees, that's appropriate degrees. And it's a feeling of generosity leads to supporting. It comes from having a feeling of enough, of having some sort of abundance of some kind in us, and, and uh, it, it has a, a, the, the uh, great pleasure of helping another, of giving each other the benefit of the doubt. That's a beautiful form of generosity, is the, the benefit of the doubt. And it has this, this, this uh, sense of, of generously listening. That's one of the greatest things we can do is really listen to our friends and listen to another person, to truly witness rather than interrupt to say, yeah, me too, I have something like that. Or to uh, say, you know, I just, you maybe should do this, but rather to just listen. That is all generosity. Quietly caring is generosity. Being willing to take the vulnerability of caring is generosity. Please don't narrow it down to just financial support or something like that. It's, that's a much larger idea. Okay, I, that was just to get started. I'm not going to do that in all of these. So then Sila, which follows in the list, Donna, 
sila is the ethics and and in that it the the sila rather than saying perfects i prefer that we say protects and advances so if if we have a generous spirit our ethics uh protects that generous spirit from greed hatred and delusion because if we take something that is not freely given in order to justify that in order to not be uh, having to face it we split off a little bit and we do it again and we split off a little more and then we start to create a world where we're justified in taking what we want and that but by our ethics pre- prevents that splitting off from happening that's why it protects uh, in my understanding protects the the generosity and um because there's shame and guilt are huge separations in our heart we have to section things off or we have to close off recognition in the mind where we can't recognize we can't recognize things because it, it we we'd have to face ourselves and it could be shame and guilt over something we've done or shame and guilt that's been imposed on us by a culture that is inherently shaming the group of which we're part of uh, it, it can be guilt that's been passed down generationally so as we as we come to understand ethics in this way it it does protect our generosity capacity and it advances it and then the third of the paramis of renunciation renunciation uh, uh protects and advances uh both the sila because if we where do we get the power to to uh act ethically we develop this muscle of renunciation and just like in a gym one moment of renunciation repeated renunciation particularly in a given area it starts to build up a a a real muscle for this we can we can tolerate a lot of desire in a given area and not succumb to it so we don't have to be afraid of desire in the same way and it allows a more healthy relationship to desire that that relates to the way Dana Dana Don was so beautifully presenting last night the renunciation so that it it it, it so with the renunciation we we our, our our ethical base is protected and therefore our generous capacity is is protected and advanced so one could think of these three working together as a team if you want to be generous and you want to be ethical then you need you need this you need this pronunciation that's pretty simple to remember i i would term that again for my practice purpose a base of protection in all of our practice in all of our walking around mindful moments our developing ourselves both on a spiritual basis and in daily living basis that these three constitute a kind of base of protection and again this is this is a inside i'm offering i'm not claiming this as uh, as being you know absolute law or something so this base of protection leads to a certain kind of well-being a certain kind of well-being if you're being ethical and you're being generous and you've got this renunciation there's a lot of well-being in that that alone is life changing in terms of some of our torment and again mindfulness empowers all three of these 
So let's, let's take that as the basis of three that can work together. And again, this is not heady. This is a feeling sense of this. Oh, I get it that generosity and sila and then this renunciation, I get how they work together. Like, it's like knowing how to uh, do something in life. It's like the, these are, these are the, the tools, the technology. So then let's treat, let's treat the fourth parmi of panya, of wisdom, as standing alone. Because wisdom, wis, wis, there's a degree of wisdom that comes from these first three. And that is the wisdom that, oh, uh, with, with, this, this is, uh, with this level of understanding, I see why to go forward with practice. I see why there is an alternative to just organizing around pleasant and unpleasant. But from what we've already learned. So the next three that I group together is the panya, is, I'm sorry, is the virya, the energy. And it, it, energy has the courage, uh, it, it has the courage to uh, make effort. It, it has uh, virya comes from this, uh, in part from Samvega, this recognition that time is short and that there's an urgency to practice that if in this lifetime, we are going to have this any kind of realization, any kind of greater well-being. There, there you know, it's it, it, we need to put energy forth, and the, and we have the courage to do that. And with this base of not getting, you know, not being stuck in all of our wanting, because we've got the the generosity and the sila and the the the, the renunciation, then our energy can be put in the right place. It's not being drained off. Because we have a base that allows us to practice. And then the patience that follows the energy, the patience protects the energy from being defeated by, by the difficulty of practice of growing. The hindrances arise. The three characteristics are there. So it's not easy to practice. It's not easy to live a mindful, uh, uh, ethically-based life. It's not. And so this, this patience... This patience, developing patience, allows the energy to not get defeated. And, and, and so it serves as a kind of endurance. Patience uh, empowers endurance in that way. Because there's a lot of defeat. There's a lot of moments when, you know, uh, nothing much is happening, or it seems as though our practice is going backwards. And then uh, the, the truth it is, is, is understood this way is that we're being honest in our assessments of what, so we're, we're truthful in ourselves in relation to, our, to uh, the necessity for renunciation because we do still feel greed. We do still feel anger and all sorts of aversion. It's true. And so our, we value the truth more than the, the sense of, Oh, I'm not getting anywhere. Oh, I, I'm a terrible person. We're willing to go through all that. We're, we're willing to go through rather than try to do a spiritual bypass. It's the truth that allows us to move forward. So in that sense, the energy and the patience and the truth allow us to practice. So there's skillful means in practice. We've established a base of practice. These are skillful means in practice. And it, uh, it, it, we can feel the ongoingness of this. And again, you're not remembering. 
you're not supposed to remember these little, these are all in order with having taken the wisdom as a separate one repeating. So it's, you're, you're able to, uh, uh, you think of okay, what you know? What creates a base of protection? What are the? What do I need to practice? I I, I need patience. I, I need I need this this willingness to put forth energy to keep going, and I need I need to be real. I need to be willing to be with what's true. That that uh, this moment of wanting is like this. This moment of uh, uncertainty is like this. We can we we're interested in the nature of things, regardless of whether we find them pleasant or unpleasant. It's it's uh, goes back to what was said the other day about the truth setting you free and that the ifs and ands of all of that. It certainly empowers us in our practice. So then we come to the the last three of equanimity. I'm sorry of meta and equanimity and and. Um, a meta resolve and equanimity. So where would those fit in thinking about our practice? Meta and resolve and equanimity. Kindness, resolve and equanimity. Kindness, kindness has this, uh, this uh, possibility of, uh, of, uh, Overcoming our self-hatred, our self-judgment, our um, tendency to blame ourselves or blame another or judge others. This meta is is uh, the word I like best is friendliness or friendness. This quality of friendliness, and it includes even having a kind of friendly attitude towards the hindrances such that the hindrances can become our allies by, um, by being messengers as to where we're off. So it starts to have a, a, a different change in our lives. Resolve is a determination and it is the determination that, that uh, to hold to our vision that we wish we wish to have a greater sense of well-being. We don't want to be in self-judgment. We don't want to be sad. We don't want to be uh, having this hostile view or this fearful view of the world. And it's determination. We're determined. We have resolved that we to stay with our vision, our aspiration. That's that's the value of, of that in that way. And equanimity, which we will look at tonight, along with metta, allows us to stay balanced as we do all of this. So this metta and the resolve and the equanimity are the, the, the support that's there for our practice. These three together, uh, the, uh, uh, a loving attitude towards ourselves, towards the practice, and this resolve to, to stay true to our vision and not getting out of balance. This, this supports those, those previous three in that way. So again, I'm not asking you to, um, to remember these, but rather to realize 
and I use that word deliberately, realize to know for yourself, to have an uh, intrinsic knowing, a Vipassana kind of insight knowing, that we have qualities that, that we can count on for support in our practice. Because often we feel alone in our practice. We feel like we're not getting somewhere. We feel overwhelmed, confused. And we don't count these characteristics that we have that are our support. We kind of forget about them. We leave out those aspects of us and we're just seeing all the things that are wrong with us, inadequate and so forth. A lot of story making in that. So this is, this is the big advantage here. Wisdom will blossom. You'll hear much more about wisdom tomorrow night, but wisdom blossoms everywhere along this. Every, every, every parami, all these groupings of parami, you can see how they each yield their own kind of wisdom, which I'm not going into right now. In the end, it is wisdom and love together that become the balancing factors, just as they do in the Brahma Viharas with this, uh, the, the, uh, the, the equanimity. The equanimity allows a kind of wisdom, but uh, there's a wisdom of love too. The last thing to say about this big picture before we come back in close is that the Buddha did not teach this list. This list was compiled later and it was compiled for the very purposes that we have studied it. At least that's what we are told as it's been handed down. And um, uh, I think that has its own significance for us. And in terms of the way it's organized everything, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a larger permission. It is definitely a big part of our tradition. Again, for you to know, because you have friends or maybe you also practice in the Tibetan tradition, they only have six paramis which uh, the monastics in the, in, the, in the Theravada tradition will make all sorts of jokes about that, about, you know, we just need a lot more help to uh, various things. Oh, I guess that makes us more perfect since we're, <laughs> we, we have more attainments. Lots of jokes. But in fact, in the Tibetan tradition, this is more central to the doctrine of their practice. This is, it is not central in the same way to the Theravadan but it is so useful. So this brings us to tonight and the metta and how metta uh, uh, as a parmi, as a capacity, uh, as, as, as a quality of mind-heart, how it, uh, its, its ever-flowing nature supports our practice. As I understand the classic teachings of metta, it is not contingent. It's not based on anything. It's like a spring that ever goes forth, that never runs dry. It flows continuously. It is not stimulated by anything. It's not stimulated. It's not a response to something. You're walking down the street and you are literally radiating metta. And in the Majjhima Nikaya, when the Buddha entered the middle link discourses of the Buddha, when the Buddha introduces loving kindness, metta, he does so by teaching us to meditate in terms of radiating metta, that we, we drop into the heart and we feel 
the existence of this radiating metta and we release it as best we're able in all the directions. So it's, it's not because, oh, the world needs metta or it's, 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 just, it's just there and we're releasing it. In turn, this metta allows for compassion because there is loving kindness. And when loving kindness meets suffering, what results is this, is this loving kindness, this, this response of the heart to, to suffering. And so compassion comes from this base of loving kindness, but it is in response to something in my view of it. It, there, if, there was, if there was no suffering in front of us, there would just be love flowing forward, but it would not take that particular form of compassion because there would not be a need. It's responding to something. And the same with sympathetic joy. There is a, the, the, this, the, and it's the loving, this loving presence in us allows us to be happy for another person's happiness or even allows us to be happy for ourselves when one part is not willing to let the other part have happiness, which again, some of you would know quite well. So this, uh, this, this sympathetic joy is coming because we're in connection to the flow and the flow is already there. But as we become mindful of this, as we practice uh, perfecting, attaining, creating the wise conditions around, around the metta, we remove these blockages from this natural flow of metta. We become more, have more capacity. And as with all of these, our nervous system becomes more able to tolerate it. Uh, the, the, our nervous systems are often uh, uh, under-resourced. Uh, we've had trauma. Uh, we've had a very narrow uh, upbringing in some way. We've not... Uh, We've not found enough bountifulness. We are in the hungry ghost stage where we, don't, we think we don't have enough no matter how much we have. We still feel scarcity. Uh, that all, all of that gets in the way of, of, this, of this feeling of the metta. And so we, we, uh, as we work at it, the nervous system gets stronger. And those beliefs, those narratives, those identities, those complexes of identity that we all have in various ways. They have, they have less strength. They, they are fired. They get ignited less often with less intensity. So less frequency, less intensity, and, and less, less uh, duration when they do arise. And so the metta allows that as we develop it. It strengthens, it strengthens the heart, you could say, in that way. Uh, Trey was bringing up some interesting things about metta and the and the juiciness of of, of metta in her her guided metta the other day. For what it's worth, I believe that uh, my experience—it's a better way to put it—my experience with metta is that. And some days it's going to, we're going to have a lot of access to it, sometimes just a little access, sometimes not much at all. And we can, we are cultivating that, again, it being more frequent, of, of longer duration and more intensity, that, that, that those would be wise movements. 
But we don't do that by denan- demanding that the metta be more juicy. We, we realize this through careful attention. We, have, we understand our aspiration, that, that, that our aspiration to have a loving presence. And we know our intention in this moment is to bring forth the, the, the attitude of loving kindness. And then what conditions come with it is what conditions come with it. But we have that attitude. So we learn to place attention on this aspiration of loving kindness, on this this moment intention. So aspiring-wise, an intention in this moment, may loving kindness be known. May loving kindness be available to flow. It's an intention. Why we learn about attention, Yoniso Manasakaro, this wise attention, is that is that in like in with metta, you 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 may say, okay, I'm gonna say metta for a neutral person, but you don't feel anything but you know you have that intention to feel. And so you, you keep your attention, on the, uh, uh, your attention on that intention. It's like slowly turning a boat around. And over time, the boat turns. If you just turn the wheel just a little bit in the vast ocean, you end up in a different place. So that, that the, uh, the intention the, the intention, utilizing attention, is what is like the kind of rubbing against, again, that Upandita talked about. And so slowly, the hindrances, what are the blockages of our loving kindness start to open. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be all gushy in our loving kindness, uh, but it, it feels more and more real to us and more palpable. It's, it's more, it becomes more alive in time. For some of you, I would say it's better to only uh, work with people for whom it's easily, and animals or Mother Earth, whatever, uh, as Don was doing the other day, for us to develop the feeling of loving kindness more. In my own life, uh, I, was, uh, I was not introduced in my first two retreats to loving kindness. And in this third retreat, I was introduced to loving kindness. And I was going, what is this? Some syrupy thing? Ah. You know, it's, it's just interfering with my concentration. And after the first time, I didn't go back for the, for the next two uh, loving-kindness sessions. And I would go, this was a bit taking place at a Catholic center, and I would go out and run track. <laughs> and I would, if while I was running track, I was busy justifying my, my decision. And then finally it hit me that, well, if I'm going to, because I was picturing how I would go into these teachers and say afterwards, you know, this is really not, but then I was, they were going to say to you, but how do you know? Because you didn't stick with it. I I couldn't figure a way around that. So I said, okay, I got to go to this thing. But by the time I got in there, they'd already left, you know, loving kindness for ourselves so much. And they were emphasizing others. And I loved it. It was easy. It was fun. It was not sentimental or syrupy. I could have real enthusiasm. And, but then at the end, they brought it back to me. And I couldn't do it. 
I could not do loving kindness for myself. It took me a year and a half before I could do loving kindness for myself. It felt selfish. It felt indulgent. It, it, it made me very suspicious. I felt like I was creating a self. I was selfing by offering loving kindness to myself. I had huge uh, 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 coming out of my childhood uh, conditions, uh, resistance to this. But after that year and a half, that's a rough year and a half, I'm trying to be specifically accurate, it really changed. And it's now a central part. It's an everyday practice for me, this metta. So that's one way to think about metta. Another way to think about metta is I was a freshman in college and um, uh, uh, neither of my parents had graduated from high school. And uh, my father had actually gotten kicked out because he thought this teacher insulted him, so he floored him. So, um, um, so uh, and they were surprised that I would want to go to college and it was all a struggle to get there. I had no money going to college. I didn't know about loans or any of that. There was, anyway, so I'm in college. I'm at a university. I'm living in a dorm. And I have, I have a 50 cents. I don't eat breakfast. And I have 50 cents for lunch and $1.25 for dinner. And uh, there was only two restaurants in, for lunch and two for dinner where I could eat in that budget range. And, but I was totally happy. I felt blessed. I felt had endless gratitude. So I'm walking down the street one night and I hear the phones ringing way, you know, maybe 150 feet away. And there's these three phone booths there. I know some of you don't even know what a phone booth is, but in those days there were these little booths where there were phones and I could hear these, this phone ringing. And all these people are walking by and they just ignored it. So I walked by the phone booth and I ignored it. And uh, it just kept ringing. I probably walked another 150 feet and I started thinking, you know, somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend is trying to get them or their mother's trying to get them. They were, you know, something and they're calling and calling or they, somebody's got a wrong number. And I was going, I should go back and just tell them it's a wrong number. And then I said, oh, but what if it is the right, what if they actually had been talking to their son, you know, there, and then they're going to ask me, they're going to say, oh, he lives nearby. Would you go get him? And now I'm getting into this whole mess. And at the same time, I, as I was walking down that street, I realized that this was going to be my last meal till Friday evening because I didn't have any more money. So I was, you know, I was thinking, but again, I wasn't upset about that. I was, I was still in my state of gratitude and I was picturing, okay, how to, how to pace myself with, I'd, I'd gone, I'd, that was not scary to me. And again, I was not unhappy, but I, this thing about here, I was, so I was pulled out of me and pulled into this, what am I going to do about this ringing phone? So I turn around and I walk back up and I go into this middle phone booth of where it was ringing and I pick up and I, I say, hello, you have the wrong, and this operator interrupts me. It's, it's automatic operator. And it, it's a female voice that says, uh, here is your change. And all of this money comes tumbling out of the, <laughs> the telephone. And it's like $3.25 or 50 cents, something like that. It's $3 and something. It's enough for me to eat on for the next two days. So why am I telling you that story? Because I was only motivated from loving kindness. I had sympathy 
for uh, our, our, our understanding connected to uh, th this person on the phone. I was connected. My heart was connected to them. I was not in any way seeking anything. And, and out of that, something unexpected arose. The wholesomeness of intention makes a huge difference in our life. Uh, uh, Don was talking the other day about the bliss of blamelessness. It's really true. It's really true. And so when we're, uh, when we're acting from a loving kindness, from a friendness, again, it's friendliness may be a better word in some way to, uh, 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 to really capture this feeling. Uh, the, the friendliness, if it's really pure, it is sila. It is sila. So just to, just to appreciate that. In time, there in various ways and different things, you will, find, uh, an, you will find a deeper connection to metta. Again, it's, it's not supposed to look like any particular thing, but you will find, you will feel the, the, the wholesome qualities, the energetic quality of it, even if it doesn't take a form that others might think, because you're, you're not put together that way. So, but you're being available for it in that regard. That is at least my experience in practice. Upeka is the bookend to metta in the Brahma Viharas. Ever flowing love, ever flowing friendliness that then will take, that if, if, it, if it runs into compassion, it becomes karuna. Uh, if it runs into suffering, it, it responds with compassion. If it runs into happiness of another, it will respond with that happiness, mirroring back, filling that happiness within itself. But without equanimity, when it, that, that the, the happiness can get out of bounds and be inappropriate, when it runs into compassion, when it runs into suffering, the compassion can be overwhelming where one gets identified with the suffering rather than having ability to support someone through the suffering, it gets burned into the suffering. Or it, on the other side, it becomes, it becomes indifferent. It's equanimity that allows love when it meets suffering to stay balanced. Very, very useful. And likewise with sympathetic joy, uh, when, when the, the loving feeling meets sympathetic joy without equanimity, one can, one can get too identified with the person, cross boundaries in that way, or one can fall into a kind of a, a jealous resentment that they have so much good joy and I don't or it, it can fall into a, a, a kind of a wanting it. It can be, I may have turned envy and jealousy around here. I'm not going to try to set those apart right now. So equanimity, upeka, becomes very important in our practice. It is uh, the, the, um, when the mind is still, it's in balance. When the mind is able to, uh, to take a disruption and not be disrupted by the disruption, it's in balance. Uh, the founder of, a, of Aikido, uh, he, he used to say, when asked, it's not, he was amazing at the people he could throw around a mat 
of a huge size and all. He, and they were people talk about how do you always hold your center? And he would say, it's not that I always hold my center. It's just that I return to it so quickly that you're not noticing that I'm out of balance. I'm not on my center. And we become more and more like that ourselves in time. Equanimity, equanimity has all of these beautiful qualities to them. It has, uh, it has a sense of, uh, uh, it, there's an ab- abundance feeling in equanimity because we're so steady. And the equanimity allows us to uh, uh, run into ill will and not fall into, not mirror ill will back. It gives us choice under pressure because we have equanimity. It has a, it has this capacity of looking over something that we're the, I call it the participant observer. We're a participant in our life, but when we have a strong base of equanimity, we're also an observer of our life. And we learn like a sliding scale of volume or, or light density on your computer. We learn to balance that participant observer capacity to what's appropriate in this moment. So sometimes uh, there's a lot of feeling of participation. Wow, you know, wanting mind feels like this and we're really having the felt sense of it. And wow, look at this, look at, look at all these distortions in my mind because uh, the equanimity was already strong enough. But other times the wanting is so great that we start getting uh, sucked into it. So we go back to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, equanimity side of the equation. We just, we're balancing between those two. So our life is both personal and impersonal. It's personal in the sense that this moment we're having is unique to us, and it's also unique to itself. Because of Nietzsche, no two moments are the same, just like a running stream. You never put your foot in the same stream. So it's, it's unique, it's unique in this moment, it's unique to us, we're having this moment. But at the same time, whatever we're experiencing is what humans experience. And in that sense, it's impersonal. Equanimity uses this understanding of the impersonal nature to not be pulled in too close, to not be enveloped by, to be swallowed by, to be caught in the eddy of, the, the disturbances that arise in our field of experience, both from the wanting side and from the uh, from the um, uh, from from the not wanting side, equanimity, this balance, it allows us to look over to see. We sometimes we need to pull back. Wow, I'm being, you know this is really strong. Other times we get to come in and really feel it, uh, particularly. So equanimity has a spaciousness that, uh, that allows us to see this bigger picture. And it certainly works with this patience and persistence. With equanimity empowers both of them. This is the resolve and the, 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 the patience. It's got a kind of, uh, the, sometimes people will say, uh, well, what's, where's the meta in equanimity? And um, uh, 
um, I like to think of my role as a god, uh, as my the godfather to my godsons and my goddaughter, that I I am equanimity for them. So it's like your kindly grandmother, your your godparent, your 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 uh, your wise aunt who treated you as an individual rather than trying to tell you what to do growing up. She brought that equanimity. She wasn't all over you. She could have received whatever your experience was. You could really talk to her. That's the kind of love it is. It's warm, but it's not, it's not interfering in that way. It's a wonderful quality to develop. And it is love. And sometimes maybe we find, uh, maybe for you, if you've struggled with, with metta, Maybe you will find more love in this kind of, uh, that the equanimity may awake for a deeper experience for you. So you, so there's the big picture, they're standing over your spaciousness and all this, that kind of equanimity. The other kind of equanimity is standing in the middle of, so that you can be in the middle of the storm and still be equanimous. You can be being blamed and not collapse under the blame. You stay with, you're able to stand there in, in the midst of everything. And therefore you really know the felt sense of it, what it really feels like to have this kind of, uh, to, the, the, the participant part of the observer participant. In the end, Vipassana is based on this intuitive knowing and we need to be, uh, it is, yeah, I'll say need, it is helpful to stand in the middle in this way, to have this capacity to stand in the middle, to have insight. There were a couple of you uh, and, uh, and that I worked with in the last couple of days where I was very specific with you about being able to stand in the middle of. I did not use that phrase, but you will know what I mean. So equanimity from the Buddhist point of view is what protects us from the eight worldly winds, praise and blame, gain and loss, pain and pleasure, fame and ill repute. And you go, I'm not, fame and ill repute doesn't have any meaning for me. We're talking about fame and ill repute within your family, you know, within, with, with you and your bros, you and the sisterhood. So it's not fame and real, don't think of it in this day of celebrity, it all gets distorted. We're all involved in, in, in <laughs> fame and ill repute. And you know it if you think about it. And I get, you know, is, is my friend mad at me? That's blame. So, but if, when we, we, can, we can stand with, in the middle of that with equanimity and it allows wise response. Wise response, which sometimes is no particular action at all, but just maintaining the course. Just as I told you that wise attention will help you connect to loving kindness to the metta, so wise attention can help you uh, connect to, to the, the equanimity in that way. You, you build up a tolerance so that, again, your muscle gets stronger, you get more, you, it, but it's strong in a flexible way. It can move. It's not, it's not rigid strong. That's not, that's, that's not a, a great strength. It's the kind of equanimity when, you're, when you're, a two-year-old tells you that she hates you. <laughs> and you. You don't identify with, oh, my daughter just told me that she hates me. You, you're equanimous and you have this larger view, right? The larger, it's a spacious view. She's going through her independence. Hooray for her. So you don't 
you may think that's a kind of uh, small example, but in my other world in which I help people in change and transitions, I've heard a number of people talk about how difficult when children are going through that and how it's thrown them and thrown them for periods of time where they've actually felt separated from their children over some of the language that children are using against them. And I have to go, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's back up here. <laughs> Who's in which role here? <laughs> so uh, uh, that's, that's part of it. T.S. Eliot said, teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still. Equanimity allows that part where we can care, but not so care, not caring so much that we get lost in it. Do you see? You want to care. Uh, Buddhism is in no way teaching indifference. Not at all. Not at all. That would be, but it's, we're, we're learning a kind of love that is equanimous. It's not dependent, it's not exchange love. It's, exchange love is wonderful, but this is love that is not based on you love me and I love you back. It's, it's a love that is unconditioned. It's unconditioned. It's a caring that's unconditioned and the equanimity is what empowers that. So, um, uh, there's a benevolent aspect. It's a benevolent attitude and it's a detached attitude at the same time. Oh my, so many things. Too bad. <laughs> so uh, uh, as we, this, these two parmies together, the metta and the equanimity, they, they are wisely developed together. So yes, you're developing one and you're developing the other, but, but you're also developing them together. Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still. In that stillness, we can regain the equanimity. In that stillness, we can feel the natural love in, in the mind heart. We can feel it. It's quiet, but it's not a dead quiet. It's a very active, alive, quiet. And when we take awareness, this knowing capacity as our object, which is uh, way further down in your, uh, your meditation, it's not for the first five years or so, uh, maybe not for the first 10 years, but at some point it becomes an appropriate object of investigation. And in my experience, in that most still of still places where there's no longer any selfing at all. There's not even a sense of self. There's not even a, there's not a subject that's knowing something. What is there is this, this kind of awareness, this knowing capacity that when one comes out of it, one would recognize as the kind of love that would be called will, this well-being kind of love, a benevolent love, a kind of a, uh, uh, this kind of quiet love that's again not all over you but it's just a well it's a supportive kind of love without any kind of a condition requirement on it so in this whole journey towards liberation these two kind of travel together 
and developing them as part of of the uh, as, as as part of our our parmies, then then there's there's a they they all support one another and we were not going to have time to go through that. But again, as I said at the beginning of this talk, each parmi supports the others. And you can you can go through one and then say, okay, well now how would so-and-so relate to this? Or how would this relate to that? And they all support one another. That's for those of you who have that kind of a ongoing interest in understanding these qualities and using them as one of your skillful means for practice. So many skillful means in this practice. But if you have that kind of interest, Ah, so let's just sit for a moment. What? might the Buddha mean by wise attention? Yoniso Manasakara. Wise attention to each of these paramis. Wise attention to metta. Wise attention to upeka, equanimity. What would you do right now in your own practice in terms of what would be wise attention? You would ask that question as an exploration, as a reflection, as a being available, not as, oh, I'm going to figure this out. Oh, there must be a specific answer. Not a demand, not an expectation, but an opening so that, that knowing can come to you rather than you all going out and acquiring it. You are being available to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.